Welcome to the Adoptee Thoughts Podcast. I am your host, Melissa Guida Richards, an author, adoptee, and mom. Each week, we will delve into the nuances of adoption, as well as tips for how to bring up difficult discussions in your adoptive family. And most importantly, we will not shy away from tough topics. So thanks for joining me today, and let's jump into your weekly dose of Adoptee Thoughts. Can you please introduce yourself? Oh, hello. My name's Louise uh, Shepherd. I'm from. Uh, I was born in Indonesia, and I was adopted um, as a six-month-old baby. And now I live in Adelaide, South Australia, in Australia, and and I've lived here for the last thirty-eight years. So I haven't lived anywhere else yet. Can you tell me a little bit about your adoption story? Sure. So. Uh, in 1982, when I was adopted, um, uh, there was my mum and dad, who are uh, white, Australian, and my t- their two biological sons and my older brothers. Uh, they came over to Indonesia uh, um, to adopt me. So the whole family went over um, and they actually met my birth mother and everything and uh, spent time with her. So uh, I've been listening to a lot of different adoptee stories and I I'm relatively new to listening to a wider perspective of stories, I suppose, but I feel like in some ways uh, my story was a bit different. I mean, they're all different, but um, the fact that uh, the two sets of parents got to spend time together and the way that my adoptive mum, well, mum, talks about it is that they had meals together, they shared the... um, the nurturing and caring parenting of me during that I think it was about one month period um so it was like a I guess a more gentle transition or handover so Mm -hmm. to speak so I mean the way that my adoption was always conveyed to me the whole story was very positive and I I know now that a lot of stories aren't uh aren't all positive and certainly my whole story my whole life hasn't been a beautiful set of rainbows and unicorns since being adopted but but I feel there's some parts such as that early part with uh the sharing of um of caring for me and and listening to my birth mother about I guess what work what was working for me and uh what kind of things I responded to was a was a beautiful thing that is so interesting to me. I've I, I've honestly yeah. never heard of a situation like that, even in like open adoptions in the states. How do you know how your adoption was kind of organized? Did they go through an agency? Well, it's a good question because I don't know those details, but I do know there was an adoptive adoption agency that did help. There was a, a an allocated worker, I suppose, that went over with. Mm-hmm. my family to support them to translate to um, help with that cross-cultural communication and, and the differences so it's a bit hard now because my, my, both of my adoptive parents have passed away so I can't ask them the details um, I've got my older brothers maybe they might know some more answers but um, yeah it would be good to know because uh, as I'm listening and hearing about other adoptees' stories and adoption stories, uh, I'm hearing about how it is a, a a business and a you know trafficking type um, situation in many cases. And I, I'm you know not not don't think that's good good at all. And if we can work out ways of more positive, um, uh, thorough ways of uh, I don't know, looking into these kinds of situations, I think we could stop a lot of, uh, yeah, the more difficult outcomes up, uh, yeah, of adoption. I don't think adoption's always the answer, that's for sure. Yes, yeah, mm. I, I definitely get what you're saying here. And uh, that's, this just makes you curious. Was it a completely closed adoption after you, you came to Australia or was it open? It was actually open. And uh, the interesting thing is that after three, uh, two and a half years, they my family adopted another child, my sister from South Korea. Okay. And um, it, her adoption was closed, so it was completely different experience. And 
like my sister and I are, are extremely close. We we talk nearly every day, every second day, and we just have the quirkiest sense of humour because of our adoption, I think. Uh, the dark times, we we just have this weird sense of humour because it's just so crazy. We think, how did we get here? Like, Yeah. <laughs> um, and she had such a different experience and I did ask her if I could, it would be okay if I could mention a little bit about her, the contrast between her and my experience. She said, yeah, of course, do whatever you want. And um, the differences were that as I was growing up, I received photos, letters, um, mm-hmm. Christmas cards um, and things like that uh, from my birth mother regularly and I was able to reciprocate and and as a growing up I was always sending letters and photos back but but my sister she had nothing nothing and that would have been so painful for her to see me receiving all of this communication and contact and she didn't even have a photo um, until she was about 20 something and uh, her, her mum actually her birth mum reached out and to the an, an agency and uh, they, they did share one or two letters and some photos but she wasn't she had a very different experience mm. yeah m- mine was completely closed and mm. I was later able to find siblings and my birth mother uh, my birth mother through an investigator and siblings through 23andMe. I took a genetic test, but yeah, I didn't have any contact at all. And so this is just f- like fascinating to me. And I'm, it su- sounds super cool. And did it have a positive influence on you growing up since you were able to communicate back and forth with your birth family? I, I think that identity part, uh, it, it, in one way, I had this very fixed internal uh positive uh perspective uh in that I was always told how much I was loved and uh that my mother you know wanted to do this to give me a a better life and you know that but just the fact that I always knew that I was loved from both sides that that was good but in saying that I do have to say I experienced still a lot of internal angst about um almost like loyalty of who uh, like I feel like I should be loyal to my birth country and birth mother but then I, I'm very loving and uh, you know grateful for my yeah uh, adoption family uh, adoptive family but I, so I spent so many times thinking uh, years thinking am I brown am I white am I Indonesian am I Australian which box do I fit into and which direction do I go which culture do I try and embrace Mm -hmm. and I was talking with my sister yesterday and I said I just realized that what I actually did is I uh, assimilated and camouflaged myself so much that uh, yeah that definitely flavored I guess as well my how I am as a person today yeah and then with that I felt shame that I was abandoning my roots you know it's that internal conflict (laughs) yes I totally understand 100% and I think it's easier for uh, transracial adoptees to kind of fit into the box of our adoptive parents culture because that's what we see day in and day out and those are the traditions those are the the mirrors that we see every day and if we're not immersed in our birth culture on a constant basis it's hard to to hold on and to learn and to to kind of emulate that in our day-to-day actions and our thinking and I've found myself going back and forth just like I was raised Italian but I'm Colombian I was raised learning Italian but now I refuse to speak it (laughs) it's just like I don't know which direction I should go in because like I love my parents and despite like how complicated our relationship has been because of adoption Mm. but I also want to 
love and be loyal to my birth country my birth mother and that too so like you saying that conflict and i think it's important for those listening to to realize that it's normal to have these feelings as adoptees and that we can have the most picture perfect adoption story or the most difficult adoption story and a lot of us there are a lot of us out there who are still struggling with our identity definitely that's so true did your adopted parents try to in integrate parts of your culture growing up other than just uh, the open communication with your birth family they really did they they did their best um I, I remember being very young going to picnics with other transracial adoptees and there would, would be usually around Christmas and I remember the toys, the gifts, because <laughs> we would all line up. And <laughs> the best part. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I really think it made a big difference having my sister with me because we weren't um, isolated. We, we did feel isolated, but we were together in our isolation. Yeah. And we would just look at each other, I think, and we would – it wasn't until we went to – school that we realized we were different to everyone else in our skin color racially and uh we just kind of stuck together but we dealt with it very differently um anyway so my parents would send uh, take us to these picnics they would uh uh, try and give us some books um they had uh for me they had a photo album an indonesian which uh included all the pictures of my birth mother me as a baby um them going over to indonesia to adopt me so i always remember pulling that out and looking at it and then uh actually when i was 27 i went over to indonesia and met my birth mum And when I was 30, something inside me, I don't know what, I think I've got some kind of ESP or something, something said, take (laughs) take mum over there, like my mum, mum, adoptive mum. And I said to mum, do you want to go over there? And she said, oh, yes, Mm -hmm. she's beautiful. And and we went over there together and met Mm -hmm. my mum, me for the second, well, you know, in in my adult life for the second time and my mum for the second time since, since 30 years and that experience was so surreal Mm -hmm. (laughs) crazy I had two mums for uh, a couple of weeks that's yeah (laughs) that's crazy yeah I like honestly hearing that I'm just like I don't think my my adoptive mom would ever be in the same room with my birth mom um yeah yeah so that's so interesting yeah it shows how supportive they were it I honestly feel that my adoptive parents didn't have the selfish uh, wish. In some way, small, some small ways they did. Like mum used to say, I always wanted a girl, some girls with long black hair. I could brush their hair. But overall, they put us first and our needs mm-hmm. first. And so she was always, mum and dad were always uh saying uh, open to talking about it and open to our questions and open to um just whatever we wanted to talk about there were I didn't feel any angst but but my sister might feel a bit different so I have Mm -hmm. to say even within the same adoptive family it it can be a, a different experience uh um but uh yeah, the fact that she, she she wouldn't put ever push me to take her over there to see my birth mother, but when I did ask her, I could tell she was really honoured and she was so excited and um, she hadn't been overseas, I don't think, since that time first adopting me and just taking in all the culture and uh, smells and food, everything. We, we, we were in it together. Mm-hmm. And, and and she did pass, yeah, three years ago now, so I, I'm so glad I took that time to do that together definitely that sounds really special and I just find it really amazing uh how she she made an effort such an effort like this is this sounds like what adoptive parents should do when adopting translationally like taking those extra steps to incorporate cultural aspects to being open to discussions that their adopted child can feel open to discussing these things and and then you went on your own 
to ask her to come. And I, I feel like a lot of adoptive parents from what I've read and who I've talked to, they, they are kind of hesitant to bring up these discussions for fear of creating distance and just like nervousness and that stuff. So it's so refreshing for me to hear um, an outcome like this and mm. to see how positively it affected you. And um, it also makes me curious, like, did were you able to discuss race and like racism with your parents? Yes, well, we did experience racism. Well, I say we, my sister and I, from uh, reception. So over here, I, I don't know what it's called over there, but it's like the year before uh, you start year one, two. So it's foundation or things like that. Like preschool um, for us. <laughs> preschool, yeah, preschool practically. And uh we started uh, getting pointed out to us that, you know, our eyes are different, our skin is different. Uh, so we, of course, went back home and told our mum and dad about this and they gave us lots of tools and skills about how to cope with it. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think we went as far as learning about, like, systemic racism, things that I'm really starting to get my teeth into as an adult now. Yeah. And, and my eyes are quite opening up to uh, a lot of things and how these systems uh, didn't benefit our birth mothers to uh, take care of our children, uh, uh, take care of their babe, us, our babies uh, themselves for the long term. So, yes, we were able to talk to our parents and they, they gave us some strategies and skills to overcome these uh, schoolyard bullying and racism uh, but I think, again, I think my sister and I were able to deal with it differently. Uh, my sister was older when she was adopted. I, I don't know if that made a difference, but it was also personalities and backgrounds of our birth families and things, you know, circumstances were different. So, um, yes, and also my mum, uh, as she got older, like and we were growing together, she opened her eyes to our Indigenous uh, situation here in Australia. She had this one view that, oh, we took the children because they needed to be um, helped and the families couldn't do it, their children were dirty, they weren't. Sorry, I've just got my six-year-old son. Where were we up um, to? You were talking about uh, becoming more aware of, like, Indigenous. Oh, yeah. So, so Mum, I was really beautiful to see her learning, uh, her awakening to all of that because mm -hmm. when she started to understand the um, policies, the racist policies and the, the yeah, uh, the, the, yeah, the systemic nature of what actually happened yeah, and does continue to happen, she was shocked. And she came home and she'd done some training. She said, I can't believe this. This is actually the truth of what happened. They were racist policies. They took those children based on their skin colour. And I was like, yes, mum, you're mm -hmm. getting it. And uh, yeah. we kind of went on this journey together. But to see her evolve was beautiful because uh, she came from one era and one headset uh, and really took the time to open her mind to the other factors yeah 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 that that sounds like what we all really need to yeah. do right when we're, when we're delving into anti-racism yeah. work and just being open to to learning more and exploring and i feel like as transracial adoptees and growing up in white adoptive homes like we aren't as i guess woke as other um, kids of color and then later adults of color. And we, even with adoptive parents that are very aware of things, um, it still isn't quite the same. And I know that I have been doing a lot of anti-racism work and just trying to learn more and trying to check my own biases. And like, it... <sighs> It's so complicated mm. and I find myself feeling so guilty for, I feel like I should be further mm -hmm. along in this journey and um, I, I'm not and it's, I feel guilty about I, it. I can relate. I can relate because I think we've been given this, I guess, umbrella of privilege uh, mm -hmm. and oh, I know that I've been whitewashed. I know that I've benefited from these racist structures and that's quite a mm -hmm. awakening for me to think hang on and uh, I saw this really good 
post about how you can be both. You can benefit from the, I think it was, I took it from your um, post. You can benefit from these uh, oppressive systems, but you can also be oppressed at the same time. And all yes, these dichotomies. Yeah. And I thought, wow, thank you for uh, validating that because we're stuck in this no man's land uh, for most of our lives. And as we become adults and mothers or parents, we, it, it changes our perspective again. And we, we we wake up to different things, but I think it's okay. I think it is a definitely a journey, as I've definitely heard it described as a, a journey, this transracial adoption thing, because it's, it's never stagnant. It, it's, it's always flowing and moving and, you know, changing. Yes, definitely. We're we're always yeah. evolving, and and it's just like it's it's so fascinating to me. Just like growing up as children and then teens, we're kind of protected mm. in this envelope of our parents' whiteness. Mm. And yes, we can experience racism and microaggressions and just uh, biases from strangers, friends, family. And at the end of the day, when we were kids, we could just claim our parents or have them claim us and be like, oh, well, mm. so-and-so, that's my parent, mm. look at them. And, or they can come into the classroom where they can speak up and then yes. bam, problem yes. solved. That person treats us differently. Like one example, I just remember working at my dad's Italian mm. restaurant and I went to go sit down a couple of customers. They were on a lunch for business, all in suits and mm. whatever. And uh, one of them just starts talking to me in <gasps> Spanish, like super yeah. fast and just looking like that look where like he, he, he thought I didn't speak English yeah. and he, he thought I was just like the help oh. and whatever. And I was like, in perfect English, I was just like, can I oh. help you? Like my dad, my dad's the owner of this yes. restaurant. Oh. And he was just like, oh my God. And everybody was so embarrassed. And they're like, whoa, like you're talking to her. Her dad owns this place. She's not yes. Tina, but I am. But he was just yes. so confused. But it's just being able to be like, that's my dad. Immediately. Yes. Changed his behavior towards me. 100%. And he checked himself. His friends checked himself. And they did a 180. And even like the waitress that I was working with, she was like, are they for real? I'm like, yeah, that happens like all the time. And now as an adult, I don't have my parents around the corner. I don't have them there to be like, that's my kid, treat her differently. No, I. when we grow up, we leave the nest and mm. we're now adults and the world yes. sees us yes. as people of color because that's yes. who we are, you know? Mm. So now I just feel like, I don't know, I wasn't prepared <laughs> enough. I wasn't prepared for not having that that shelter and um now like especially writing and talking about adoption and not always in a positive light i mm. can get a lot of hate and yeah. i don't have that umbrella anymore of parents saying like that's my kid leave her alone you know it's just like no people are telling me to go back to my country if i'm not happy and and that's mm. that's the type mm. of thing i feel like um adopted parents need to understand is that your mm -hmm. kids aren't going to be little kids always and they're going to need to mm -hmm. learn how to protect themselves and speak up and when it's probably when the occasions where it might not even be safe to speak up sometimes so right. and it, like you said before it's so nuanced that just yes. has me asking oh. uh, wanting to ask how has your journey grown now like as an adult and really exploring your identity more and now not living with your parents yes I I think I feel like there was I I how do I say I I, I definitely feel that I came to a crossroads almost in life and this might I don't know how this is going to come across but this is how I felt and how I experienced that I would have to either go down the Indonesian way mm -hmm. <laughs> or the white Australian way and for better or for worse I feel like because I lived in this angst and this identity crisis for so long and it to the point where I I'd, honestly I didn't want to live like that life of confusion anymore so honestly I think I felt I just went down the white Australian path uh of of embracing that and uh i i think a big part of that of being um 
Mm -hmm. A white Australian is acknowledging our history here in this country, which is based on racism. So I'm very passionate about our Australian um, situation with our Indigenous people. And, uh, like, I've I've definitely uh, stand up and have a a try and advocate for, um, but to be an anti-racist, um, I, I'm a social worker, so I've I've worked for ten years in um, child protection, and I've seen some different sides, different perspectives, perspectives to this out of home care situations and what could be solutions or supports for 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 birth families. And um, so within child protection, I've worked in um, family preservation, uh, reunification, and then the long term orders team uh, so I've, I've seen a bit of a scope on on that kind of system this like that system and uh, I think there's a whole lot of things with my identity you know I became a mother six years ago um when I he when my son got to the age of my adoptive age it really mm-hmm. uh, hit me in the heart like or oh, what was that like for my mother I I can't imagine the situation she must have mm-hmm. been in to have to make that choice uh, to give her baby away. Um, I, I've been like, you know, had some contact with my birth mother still, but mm-hmm. recently, to be honest, it's gone quiet. So I'm not sure what's happened. And it's hard because I, I didn't, I don't know the language and she doesn't know English that well. It's a, a lot gets lost in translation. And so I wouldn't know if she became sick or she passed away because she was a bit estranged from her family. Uh, so I, I don't have strong connections with extended family over there. So oh, it, it's a big thing I, I think of it is mm-hmm. uh, accepting kind of my situation as it is, but still trying to uh, cr- um, critique systems and, and try and dismantle and make change where I can because I see the injustices and I see – how humans are really affected, uh, uh, but at the same time, I, I feel like I am at peace with who at peace with who I am. I know that I was born in Indonesia, but I didn't have the opportunity to become Indonesian because I, I don't. Ha- I didn't know the food. Mm-hmm. I didn't know the language. I don't know the culture. I know nothing, and I can't change that unless I go go over there to live there and immerse myself in it then I might have some chance of connecting more in a more real kind of uh, authentic I guess way but I I, I've I come to terms with that I can't change it and I'm okay with that but I have this privilege and agency to educate myself to learn so that I can uh yeah examine these different systems and their injustices Mm -hmm. and prejudices and discrimination so that I can help others uh that's just where because I I just felt so unsure my whole life even with with that great support that I had and the great family I, I just was tired I was tired of not being uh not knowing who who I was and yeah. It's exhausting, isn't it? Just... it? It really is. And, like, I feel like people who aren't adopted don't really understand what it is mm. to, to to be adopted because, like, every day there's something that kind of triggers it in my head. Like, mm. when I uh, go to visit my adoptive parents, I see um, my, my grandmother lives with my mom and then my aunt lives with her now, too. So I see three different relations. Yeah. And they all look alike. They all speak Portuguese because my mom's Portuguese. So they all make like Portuguese food. And like, it's just like that constant thing that reminder that I'm different. Like, yeah, they're my family, but I don't have that. Mm -hmm. Like uh, they, Mm -hmm. they try to include me and whatever. But at the end of the day, I'm like, I don't want to learn Portuguese, you know, like I want to learn Spanish so I can teach my boys growing up. But Mm. then like, I'm stuck like at home I'm just like okay let me let me pick up a a class on Spanish Mm. or like to take Duolingo or something Mm. and I'm just like there's like a block Mm. where I can't really get over because it hurts it hurts that I don't know the language that uh in a country that I was born into Mm. that would have been my primary language Mm -hmm. and and I just feel like there's pieces of me 
that no matter how much I try, yeah. I'm not going to get them back. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel stuck between like these places and I'm trying to fight the stereotypes. It's just like, I'm not Latina enough or I am, but then it's just like, what mm. is a Latina? Mm. And I, I feel like that's kind of where you're getting it. It's just like, where do we fit in in this thing? Yeah. And so I'm trying to come to terms with that. I feel better about it than I did years ago because I've been on this mm. journey for so long that I've been mm. constantly in the adoptive world trying to figure things mm-hmm. out. Um, but mm-hmm. but like you said, like having kids, I feel like mm. that really did change things. And mm-hmm. I feel there's a pressure for me to, to keep getting to know my birth culture because now it's not only my thing that's missing, it's my kids thing. And so I'm interested to, uh, to know how you're handling that with your children. And if you, you feel pressure to, to try yeah. <laughs> and learn more because of yes. your kids. It's funny because just this week at school, my boys in reception, uh, and uh, he, they had Indonesian day because uh, they're losing, learning Indonesian language. Uh, and I one, I'm really happy they're learning Indonesian because I mm-hmm. never I learned German. Well, that's really <laughs> useful, isn't it? Um, <laughs> and and uh, my boy comes home and uh, t- starts counting in Indonesian, and I try and make it a positive. I say, "Can you teach mummy? Did you know mummy was born in Indonesia?" And I I didn't learn my language, and uh, he he tries to teach me, and then uh, I, I I said to him on the way to school, I think it was on Indonesian Day, I was thinking about it, and I said. Do you know what, mate? Um, did you know that when I grew up, I didn't have anyone in my family except for my sister, and just because we we're Asian background, we looked similar. But except for auntie, uh, I didn't look like anyone. And um, he's just looking out the window. And then I said, but do you know what? Now I actually have someone that looks like me. And he yeah. and he didn't really get it. And he's like, he said someone else. <laughs> I was like, no, it's you. And he and I, I'm trying to just gently introduced to him about my adoption because uh, to him he, he just sees everyone and he has his family and they love him so much and just like normal family would and uh um you know like that but I do need to introduce these topics to him because he one day he yeah. will realize oh, wait a minute I'm not you know, you know different um in my skin color and things uh, but uh, I do feel pressure that I don't have that to give mm-hmm. to him. Uh, and I, I think we will maybe go on the learning yeah. journey together. Um, and that's the best that I can do is maybe when he gets – I was thinking in a couple of years I'll take him back to Indonesia. And um, he, 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 he does notice that there's another boy in his class from a, a different background and he says, oh, we have the same brown skin and we have, you know, he's starting to yeah. notice those differences. But, um, yeah, I, I definitely want to just try and embrace it for what it is. Um, and I, I've, I've definitely had a lot of feelings of shame growing up and even now uh, about um, – I try not to. I, I try not to latch on to that feeling because it's, it brings you right, really mm-hmm. way, way down. And maybe some days it's easier than others to, to not latch on to that. But um, – I, I try. I want to try and make it into a positive where it's a journey for us to to learn Indonesian together, and I see how far we can go with that. And yeah. if he wants to, like, I'll definitely want to try and give that same uh, platform if whenever he's ready, whatever he wants, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's a a great yeah. plan and like similar to what I've been trying to do, and I. Mm. I think I need to find a book or something to try to introduce the concept of adoption because like right now his grandparents are his grandparents, you know, he has no idea mm-hmm. that they're technically, you know, mm-hmm. like there's they're adoptive yeah. grandparents, I guess. Um, but how to explain that he has three grandmas out there, not just, <laughs> just the two. So um, yes. I just, I think that's, yeah, a great idea for a book if if there, if there isn't already out there, uh, we need that book in our community. Yeah, because uh, I've got a picture of my birth mother, and you know uh, it's amazing how much we actually look alike. And I showed Jacob; it's another way of slowly introducing to him. Uh, 
And I said, who does this look like, Jacob? And he just said it was me. <laughs> I said, well, I don't think I look that old yet, but we do look <laughs> the same. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and and he, he just kind of, you know, accepted it. Yeah. And, and then, <laughs> and then I'll, I'll just keep on um, chipping away, giving him those opportunities to ask and talk and, uh, yeah, so I'd love to read that book, have that book, because I read to him every night, all different books, and uh, I would love to have that book. Yeah, yeah, there definitely needs to be, like, more adoptee literature by adoptees, because yeah. I feel like having these things are so necessary, because just this discussion with you, it just is a reminder that adoption doesn't just stop at us, you know, it's going to affect our kids in some way, it, it, it affects yeah. everything, and um, so... We need to keep talking and figuring things out together. Mm. And I, I feel like having other adoptees to talk to really just helps us process things. And like just talking about race and the struggles that you had with identity, it makes me feel less alone because I'm just sitting by myself with my husband. Like he doesn't really get it, but then I'm just feeling horrible that why do I feel this way? Like no one else does. And then I talk to you or a different adoptee. I'm just like, there's other people experiencing this. I'm not crazy. Of course. It's really validating. And it's like acknowledging those deep uh, seated emotions that are within us as adoptees. Yeah, I think it's really validating and it's really empowering uh, because we're not alone. Uh, Each story is different. There's no wrong or right way to feel. I think that's an important message and it can change from day to day, from season to season um, and that's okay and I I agree with having that support network is everything and uh, just feeling like it's okay to be who you are. so I, I'm really keen to keep learning and uh, listening and hearing adoptee voices, all different experiences. And thank you for giving this platform because uh, you've been able to raise lo- a lot of different voices and have some wonderful conversations. Uh, it's so important. It's in- invaluable. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I've, I've really been enjoying it. And just like the, the different stories from adoptees and the different experiences, some of us have had like really pleasant ones and it always makes me extra happy because it wasn't the greatest so I always like to hear other people having good experiences and then the other ones are like heartbreaking and um it's just Mm. interesting like how we all can relate on some level and um uh, I'm just curious too. Like you said that you you kind of live in the same area where you grew up. Is that like a primarily white area, or like what's the population mm. like over there? It's certainly changed since uh, the early '80s. Um, let's say when I went to primary school with my sister, there was only one other Asian girl, and. Um, yeah, so we were the two, and I don't know if there was anyone else that was transracially adopted. Not that certainly not we were aware of, but there were three other, uh, three in total, uh, and there weren't any very. There was not very. It's definitely predominantly white to answer your question. And now, though, my boys at school, that there's a bit more multiculturalism, but not as much as in the northern suburbs. Well, we're in the southern suburbs of Adelaide. Uh, there, there's more multiculturalism and mix in in the north, uh, but it's it's changing here. Um, and you know, when I started high school, there was a girl. Actually, she was adopted by an Asian girl by a white family, and the lady said she was helping us with our uniform. She said, "Oh, look, there's another Asian um girl you can play with, or something." And oh my god! We were just like, "Oh, that didn't feel good." <laughs> like. Why yeah, like yeah. Box? We don't all just yeah. like each other because we look brown or something, you know. <laughs> uh, I guess she was trying to be supportive, but it just came across so, <laughs> I don't know. To me, that's kind of like a microaggression, yeah. you know. It's just like, you're Asian, go hang out with her. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, why can't I go hang out with the white kids? <laughs> <laughs> um, and 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 also I have to say uh, that my friends are all white. I, I don't actually have any Asian friends or um, mm. people of color. Uh, 
Oh no, wait, wait. I do have a few now. Sorry to my friends if they're listening. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, hey, what about me? <laughs> Mainly growing up in my junior primary years, I didn't. And as I've went to university and expanded my wings a bit, I do have some beautiful friends of colour, all different. But um, my white friends would always say when I'd say, but I'm not Asian, but I'm not white. They would say, Louise, we just see you like us. And that colour blindness, I'm like, but you see me like you, but look at me, I'm not. Like, yeah, I'm, clearly, you might, how can that be the case? <laughs> uh, and they say, well, you know, you talk like us, you thing, blah, blah. Yes, okay, I've been assimilated. Um, but you don't get it when I, and you, when I go to a party or something when I was younger and you get all these racist taunts and slurs and you don't have to deal with that. Uh, and... It's just easier to say that you see me like you because then you don't have to face what I'm facing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you know, and, and people will say, oh, you sound more Aussie than me. And, you know, you get the things like on the phone, oh, no, that wasn't you that rang up when I go there in person to collect whatever it is. It was a woman named Louise. And I say, it's me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've just. The name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Um, it, it, it's, it's there's a lot more uh, I think even business owners and families uh, in our community now but it's pretty slow to change uh, I think there's still definitely racism um, and I, I'm trying to get my teeth into the book white privilege at the moment to uh, help me deepen my understanding of you know why it's hard to talk about racism in white communities and when for white people many white people but it's helping mm-hmm. to open it's helping me to open my eyes as to why there's such a blockage um and it's it's quite complex uh yeah <sighs> yeah which <laughs> it, def- it definitely is uh we we really didn't talk about race growing up and um I I became very uh, aware when I was a teenager. And it's funny how you mentioned, like, you hung out with primarily white kids. I didn't. Like, oh. my best like, my best friends are always black or other Latinos. Oh. And it's funny because I didn't find out I was adopted until I was 19. And so I thought I was white. Like, literally thought I was white. So yeah. the fact that I always gravitated with other people of color and then I found out I was a person of color. It it was so interesting to me. It's just like, I think like part of me always kind of knew. And that's why I kind of gravitated towards other people. And it, yeah. drove, it drove my family bonkers because um, they're super Republican Trump fans. And um, they, yeah. they wanted me to just hang out with like other Italian people. <laughs> and I, <laughs> yes. I just did it. Um, I just found like a camaraderie with other people because they were treated like me because even though at the time like I thought I was Italian I was treated like I was Mm. and like so other people would pick on me like in the store people would talk to me in Spanish and just like all these other things the only other people who understood what that was like were my Latino friends and my black friends Mm. and so uh growing up Uh, I went to college, like you mentioned, like exploring more of identity. And I tried to join Latino groups. And then I just felt like an outsider even more. And, and it's Mm. because I feel like I'm not Latina enough. And then, but I'm not white enough. (laughs) Like I'm too woke for my white family and yet not assimilated to, to the traditions and everything of traditional cultural um like heritage of my birth family and I know. Um, like you said it's complicated <laughs> it's complex and then having those discussions with my mom and just other family is difficult because a lot of them have not experienced racism and like even my adopted brother he he's adopted too from Colombia but mm-hmm. he doesn't talk about adoption at all and he really doesn't talk about race and like we're not close at all and yet he's supposed to be the person that I should have been able to talk about these things with and, and so it's just interesting to me like uh how relationships between adoptees are and yeah. 
Can I could I ask Melissa um uh, when you uh, do talk to what what's the kind of response you'd get from your brother and your parents if you did try and raise it uh, about what you experience is it brushed off or uh, is it with with my parents like it it used to be oh just ignore those people they don't know what they're talking about we love you that's what that's all that matters and like Mm. Over the years, like I've really tried like a few times to them to really understand mm. and we've had some deep conversations, but mm. um, you've probably seen on the news like Black Lives Matter protests and whatever. So I tried broaching it a few weeks ago, Mm-mm. but I got in this huge fight with my father um, mm. because he really doesn't believe racism exists and um, he's just colorblind. He worked hard. Like they, my, both my parents immigrated to the United States when they were younger and they worked from like literally nothing to what they have now. So for them, they're like, I struggled. Mm -hmm. I didn't even speak English. Um, If my life was hard too, and I did it, you should be able to, and they don't really understand systemic racism. So Mm -hmm. at that point, um, I have, I've really mm-hmm. stopped talking to my father about it because I just realized like he's not going to change. Um, and but with my mom, like she understands a lot more. Mm. Like she she listens to the podcast and she'll read what I write. And she's trying to to learn little by little. And I know it's it's harder for her because she was raised with that type of mentality mm. too. And my parents never even saw like a black person until they came to the United States when mm. they were like twelve. You know, so like they were super sheltered. And um, I think it's important for people to realize that Mm. this type of stuff is like ingrained, the white privilege, and it's like in your day to day life. And it's so hard to become aware of it, Mm -hmm. that like, even me as their daughter, and I'm a person of color, Mm -hmm. and seeing the things that my parents experienced, like, even though they struggled, Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that it was as hard as it could have been if they were people of color and that they did have advantages. My dad, uh, he has a temper. And Mm. if a black person did any of the things that my dad did, getting in fights and, like, as a teen, he he opened the fire hose in his school. Like, he would have been arrested or worse, but never, Mm. never, never got in trouble. So, like, it's things like that that um, they just don't realize. And so... and so, like, I, as an adoptee and as a person of color who yes, wants to yes. kind of help my family understand more, I have to fight with the part of me that wants to teach, wants to educate, wants mm. to to help people become more aware, especially since my children are, I have two Latino children that are brown, you know, like, they're going to grow up and experience things like this in the United States. Um, and I want That's my right. parents to kind of realize that so they can be aware and, and kind of help protect my kids, you know, but it also have to fight with a part of me is just like, I can only educate them so much before it's affecting me negatively. And I'm, mm-hmm. and it's like talking to a wall sometimes. And that can be really painful because that brings up a lot of trauma, you know? <laughs> right. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, and even with, I have to say, even within my own family, uh, my two older brothers are beautiful, but uh, I, I'm, it's, it's a, I found myself educating them too, and I've been surprised recently about some of their perspectives uh, uh, on some of this Black Lives Matter stuff and, and racism mm-hmm. in general. And I, I, I was very – I didn't – until you start uncovering and talking about it, sometimes you don't even realise that there's just these views that sit there, these perspectives that are there uh, until you have these conversations, I've been a bit shocked, and uh, I think I've heard on some of the other talks that you've had that it's it shouldn't be just up to us to educate everyone yes. all the time, like you say, and it impacts us, it, it mm-hmm. drains us, and it's it, it, it's exhausting and yeah. and painful. Uh, so we have to really um, look after ourselves, and I think that's a big one as well: self care, um, doing whatever it is that we need to do to to uh, preserve our well-being um be gentle with ourselves and do the you know it's it's you can't really express you can't underestimate the impact of of that because uh, what i think one thing i've I've thought along the along the way of life is that like no one else is going to look like look after me i think that's a big part of my personality now and 
maybe while I'm still single. <laughs> but <laughs> no one's going to have my back. I, I have to do it myself, and that includes looking after myself to the in those kind of scenarios too um where we can't educate everyone all the time we, we sometimes just have to look yeah. after number one yeah yeah I think mm-hmm. that's that's definitely mm-hmm. important and like you said you can have these conversations with your like your brothers and like siblings and whatever but at the end of the day we have to put up barriers mm-hmm. too because uh if we give our all a hundred percent of the time uh, we're gonna get overrun and uh it's we need to think of yes. it as like a marathon. Like we gotta, we gotta save our energy for for what, and leave some for ourselves. And and um, at the end of the day, like yes. still, we're like we're going to keep experiencing racism and these things, um, throughout our lives. So like it's like we have That's to have us. those reserves. Exactly. I like that analogy of a marathon. It's true. It's not a a hundred meter sprint or whatever you call it over there, (laughs) but um, a hundred. It's it is. It's a marathon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we'll probably never be fit completely finished. Uh, We'll pass it on to our, as you say, our children. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. And then just having conversations like these. Like I know I'm repeating myself. Just making sure yeah. that we we are opening up lines of communication and creating friendships that that validate all the things that we're going through will help and strengthen us and give us more energy to have those tough conversations with people who aren't quite there yet and that means like we can oh, come great. back to them at another time because six seven years ago i was not able to even have a conversation with my adoptive parents now now it's a possibility Mm. and we're making some progress and yeah not everybody Mm. should have that type of patience with certain people but like if if you have an adoptive parent or sibling or cousin whatever who are really important to you like some people Mm. in therapy like i've heard like oh just don't talk to them but it's not always possible just to break up those relationships you know and especially as a transracial Mm -hmm. adoptee we love a lot of white people who don't really understand white privilege. And if we cut off everybody who ignores and is colorblind, we wouldn't have very many people left. (laughs) It's so true. It's so true. So with the, it is, that's, and then there's Mm -hmm. the hard work again. Yeah. 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 So, uh, I don't know. We're, we're, I think we're making progress as a generation in general. And I really love how outspoken we are becoming as adoptees. And like, we're, we're kind of taking back the narrative, right? Cause like it used to just be yes. white adoptive parents in the media and podcasts and books and whatever. But now we're, we're kind of yes. taking ownership of our stories and not just letting it, mm-hmm. it be told by them. And it, and that's the beautiful yes. thing, you know, like that's how we're going to make change together and we're stronger together. Mm, I, I agree. Um, um, it's quite um, inspiring to be part of and to listen to these uh, conversations and uh, the empowering of the, the children. I see us as children, uh, you know, of, of the adoptees, adults and, you know, all of that. I think it's, it's great. So I'm really looking forward to continue that journey and having my mind opened more and more, uh, reading some more books and, and things mm-hmm. like that. Well, mm. Thank you so much for coming on. I've really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you enjoyed your time with us. I really have. Thank you so much, Melissa. And it's great to connect from the other side of the world as well. Yes. Uh, and I think it's fascinating all the different countries, all the different adoptees that are sitting in their lounge rooms or whatever they're doing um yeah I I think that would be an interesting thing as well Uh, so yeah thank you for the opportunity Uh, it's been fantastic and I'll keep following all your work I'm so glad that you joined me today and if you would like to hear more from Adoptee Thoughts make sure to subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and if you'd like to learn more about me you can check out my website adopteethoughts.com thanks again for listening And I hope you have a wonderful day.